I'm Chanel Shaw. And I'm Katie Persia McGrady. And this is Ave Spotlight. This week on Ave Spotlight, we are chatting with Emily Stimson Chapman, author of The Catholic Table, about gathering in community to share good food and to grow in fellowship and relationship. We recorded this episode prior to the events of last Wednesday with the terrorist attack on the Capitol, and so we do not address that directly, and we don't want our listeners to think that we are ignoring that topic. We would ask that you please click at the link down in the show notes that leads you to a prayer that was composed to cry to heaven for peace and reconciliation and repentance within this country, within our world. Next week's conversation will be with Anne Garrido, where we discuss having hard conversations and disagreeing with people, which I think will be quite relevant to this current moment we are in. But for today, we have an excellent conversation with Emily about food, about faith, about family, and about setting ourselves up to eat good food in the new year. Emily, thanks so much for joining us for Ave Spotlight. Oh, I'm so excited to be here, Katie. Thank you for having me. Yeah, now you and Chanel are both in Pennsylvania. I feel like the outlier here on opposite sides of the state. Oh, Philly people. Philly, that's right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So Emily, tell us a little bit about you, where you are, where you're hiding in your house currently from your boys. (laughs) I'm in the most disaster of an office uh, that you could imagine. (laughs) We're we're in the middle. um, We're getting ready to welcome a third baby home, hopefully, in a couple of months. Um, And I have a two-year-old and a five-month-old, and we're adopting our first son's uh, oldest biological sibling. So we've got to turn my office into a bedroom for the two of them. And yeah, so my office looks like a hurricane blew through here, and I'm glad you can only see my face. (laughs) And you you bring up your adopted mom with a really cool story around adoption and around just life in general. Give us like the, I mean, you could never do justice to this story, but the two minute rundown of your life. Yeah. Well, I always wanted to, um, marry young, have a big Catholic family. That was something I really longed for in my twenties. Uh, but God had very different plans and I was single throughout my twenties, single throughout my thirties. I was single for so long that I got asked to write a book about being single, which is, (laughs) was not on my list of life goals. Uh, but when I was 41, I married the love of my life. And uh, we, we did everything we could to try and have a baby. The doctor said there was still time, but that didn't happen. Uh, so in July of 2018, we welcomed our first son, Toby, through adoption. Um, beautiful, black-haired baby boy. Uh, and then last year, uh, just feeling like our family wasn't complete, we began the adoption process again. And got a call out of the blue in July, on one afternoon in July that there was a baby in Texas who needed a family and we were it if we could get there. And so we took off and spent a month in Texas and then NICU with our, our son Beckett and came home in August. And that very week got a call from our first son's birth parents saying that they, um, that they were expecting again and they could not and would not parent. And uh, mm. they wanted us to. So, wow. Yeah. So that's three babies <laughs> in two and a half years we're on right now. <laughs> I'm 45 and tired. Oh my, so. I was just about to say, my goodness, are you tired? You look so <laughs> great but oh my god it's lipstick lipstick for just (laughs) the eyes (laughs) wow that is amazing 
Now, and that's that's three kids in two and a half years in the time of COVID. After a life of of pouring into other people's families, I, this is kind of like off off like the the track of where I thought this conversation would go. But I just really feel compelled to ask you, like, were you prepared for this life, and and what did you learn in those single years that did prepare you for this? Uh. I mean, I don't know if anyone is ever really prepared for babies. I mean, you can, I took care, I've been a doula for seven births. I have helped friends with everything from like picking nits out of their children's hair to, you know, dealing with, uh, I've had more babies, more children puke on me. I've dealt with health families with stomach flu. I did so much helping of families throughout my single years and um, I welcomed my home and we would have dinner parties for like five large families. You know, I'd have 60 kids running around my house every Christmas at my Christmas party. And that was awesome. Like I learned a lot, but uh, no, nothing really prepares you for your own baby. And then a two-year-old and a five-month-old and then a two-year-old and an eight-month-old and a, a newborn. <laughs> um, but probably the best thing I gained from all those years of helping friends is just seeing how how hard it is. Like I don't feel like I'm failing, but I do feel like I'm failing. But I know everyone else is failing too. We all feel like we're failing. It's hard. It's exhausting. Um, but you know, you you figure out what works for your family. And so one of the great things about becoming a mom in your forties is you don't feel like there has to be this one way you do it. And if you don't do it that way, your child is going to be ruined forever. Um, I've seen people raise, raise babies in all sorts of different ways and figure out what works for their family with one child in one season. And so there's, there is a lot of freedom with mm-hmm. being a mom in your forties. Um, and I'm exhausted, but you know what? All the moms in their twenties are exhausted. Yeah, We're all tired. Yeah. I think everyone is tired. I think every single person on planet earth is tired. Yeah. Wow. So I might as well be exhausted with two or three cute babies in the house. Right. Amen. Wow. There it is. I love that silver lining. You are so amazing. I've seen, um, little snippets of you on social media, um, and so I'm shook that I'm talking to you in real life right now. Oh. <laughs> and also your babies are so cute. Um, oh, thank you so much. Yes. And so throughout you talking, I was definitely loving the, you know, bravery you have of having three babies, almost three babies and, um, taking care of your family. And I just love it. You caught me with dinner party. Um, I love food. So you got my ears ringing with dinner party, which with a bunch of people. Um, so would you have those often? Would you normally invite like people and their children over to your home? Um, how did you normally get that together? Oh yeah. All, I mean, so different ways. So all through grad school and in my thirties, we had these, we called them Thursday night dinners and they were standing invitations to all of my friends in Steubenville and all of their kids. So there might be nights where there's 20 people. There might be nights where there's 50, 60, 70 people in my house. Oh my goodness. Um, and I would, I would do the main course and everyone else would bring dessert or salad and wine, lots of wine. Um, and that made it easy and it was low key. We had those dinners while I was renovating my kitchen. We had those dinners uh, when I, we, they thought I had cancer at one point. We just, we did these mm-hmm. dinners every Thursday and they were a, sort of a liturgical community uh liturgical active community i would say um but no i I would have friends over on friday night we'd have simple dinner parties we'd have fancy dinner parties i think being single for so long uh i felt god calls all of us to be open to life 
and mm -hmm. that's going to look different in different seasons. And so when I wasn't married, when I wasn't, you know, welcoming my own babies into my home, I felt like being open to life meant inviting other people into my home and giving them mm. a place to belong and a meal and showing them with the food that I prepared for them that they were, you know, that they were loved and they were worthy and they mattered. And I wanted to pour all of the all of the love I had for my friends into the the food I cooked for them. And so that was that was my ministry. That was my way of being open to life. Um, and it's obviously changed a little as more babies are here. So uh, wow. I don't have quite so many large fancy dinner parties, uh, but it's, but I still love having all my friends over. I love feeding people. Um, unfortunately, my husband likes to watch our children, so I can still cook <laughs> and he herds the boys and uh, it's all about balance. It seems work. like yeah. you guys have a good team thing going on there. Yes. It's That's totally awesome. about teamwork at this point. Wow. So did these parties, like, how did, how do you see it? Like, how do you see it now in retrospect? How do you see it fostering the community? Like, was it really, um, like having people over to your house for dinner? Do you, did you see more people coming? Did you become closer to other people? It was, I mean, the, the friends that I was inviting over to my house during grad school are my very best friends now. We are all very mm. best friends. We have been at each other's parents' funerals, each other's weddings. We've helped been there for the births of children. You know, community is fostered, uh, intimacy, intimate community is fostered through time together, through eating together, and mm. through shared conversation. And dinner parties are so great because they give you all of that. And a regular dinner party, like a standing Thursday night dinner, you know, there's, you're always showing up, you know, you always have a place to go on Thursday night. Um, you're always talking conversations that are, we, I learned more about natural family planning and breastfeeding <laughs> and um, politics, you know, you name it. It was, we talked about it at those dinners. So the conversation, the time together, and then food, like food is your reason to gather. It's a reason to sit down with people. Um, food builds community and it does that in the church through the Eucharist. Um, the Eucharist builds us into the body of Christ, which is the ultimate community. And on a natural level, you know, soup can build us into a community of friends when we share it together. Well, that's, uh, that's a great point of just like the food is the anchor. Like, they're not, I mean, you could go hang out with folks. You could get coffee, but together in a home with a meal and you're kind of the, like I low key follow your Instagram for the boys, the writing and the recipes because you talk so much about, like just like your son eats the fancy stuff that I avoid because you've committed to like making good food. Tell us a little bit about how you plan. And this is kind of the pivot to we're in a new year. Some folks are committing to meal planning. Um, like how, how do you plan a meal? How do you really that main course that you were cooking? Like what would you choose? And then what's some encouragement for folks to maybe get adventurous as they do that themselves? Well, if you want me to be completely honest right now, Yes. I am a cake mother of a two-year-old and a five-month-old, and Blue Apron does a lot of my meal planning for me. Um, <laughs> I am all about the meal planning services. Uh, they're great. If you, you know, for someone your size family, when you have a smaller family, when you have little kids, I, it's and that actually is wonderful because it has Toby trying all sorts of things mm -hmm. that in my exhaustion I might get into a rut and be like, oh, I'm just going to make 
oh, I'm going to make this pasta again. I'm going to make this salmon again. And instead we're getting all of these you know, international dishes and dishes with intense flavors. And it's like, okay, kid, this is what's for dinner. You're going to eat it and eat that. <laughs> um, so, but that's only three nights a week. So the other nights of the week, um, I usually like a soup because soups go a long way for lunches and Toby loves soup and I love soup and I can send it with Chris. So if I make a big double or triple batch of soup one night a week, that's great. Um, usually, um, even in COVID, we have friends over, uh, we have a babysitter who comes three mornings a week. Uh, and she's also one of my good friends and she babysits for another family. So those, her, her family and the other family have, are, have been our little, solid social core for the past nine months. So we'll usually see them um, once a week or every other week. So I'll plan a meal that I know they will enjoy and that will be fun for me to cook on the weekend when I'm so excited to see other human beings. (laughs) (laughs) The babysitter and the boys again. Um, And then, yeah, it's a lot of times it's just what sounds fun. Like what, what am I craving? Mm -hmm. I'm really fortunate that we don't have a lot of dietary issues in the house. So if I'm craving beef bourguignon, then we're going to have beef bourguignon. If I'm <laughs> craving curry, we're going to have curry. And everyone else just has to eat it. So I'm a little selfish. <laughs> hey, happy wife, happy life. That's I the rule that. in my home. <laughs> and so, and, and it, it sounds too that like the food that you prepare and gathering people at your table, I mean, it's, an, it's a direct reflection of the church. Like we are gathering at the table of the Lord. You invite family and friends to gather at, at the Chapman family home. Um, how, how would you encourage a person who maybe wants to start doing this? We, we had a guest on a few episodes ago who like said, like, this is a way to build community. Like what would be your biggest piece of advice for somebody who wants to maybe start to do this themselves? Keep it simple. Like the first time you invite people over, if you haven't had people over for a long time, don't try to pull off the Julia Child's recipe that requires 50 fancy ingredients, some of which you've never heard of, and you have to go to four stores, and you've never cooked it before. Like cook what you know. If that's chili, cook a pot of chili. If it's spaghetti, cook a pot of spaghetti. Um, just keep it simple and don't don't try to impress your guests. Uh, don't worry too much about the house. Like if they have a place to sit, that's important. You know, if there is a toy free pathway to where they're going to sit, that helps. Um, clean bathroom, a clean bathroom for the guests to use is usually a bonus. But beyond that, like shut all the other doors. Okay, don't <laughs> don't offer a tour of the house. Don't worry. Like people are going to be looking in your closets and. If they are, they'll probably just find closets that are as messy as theirs. So, you know, it's just not a big deal. You don't you don't have to sweat it. People are not coming over to criticize your cooking or to criticize your housekeeping. People are coming over because people are lonely. People mm-hmm. need friends. People need to be seen. People need to be loved. And if you give them your attention with, like, a pot of soup, that's going to make their week. And mm-hmm. you just have to think about yourself in those situations. Like, when you're excited to be invited to somebody's house – you don't go in and like, I'm going to go inspect her baseboards. You know, you're, you're <laughs> They'll be disappointed. <laughs> you just are thinking about someone has, is loving you enough and honoring you enough to mm. welcome you into their home. And so just keep it simple and remember what matters. And that's attention and you not four star cooking and, you know, Pinterest yeah. houses. That's a great way to put it. Um, Chanel, I think is it's time to ask our favorite question of our guests. Do you want to take it away? 
Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So every week we ask um, our guest what their hope for the week is. So it can be anything that you're looking forward to, something that you're hopeful about. Um, if you need like some time, I can answer first if you need a little bit of time or you can go for it. What do you think? Why don't you answer first? Okay. Okay. So something that I'm hopeful for this week, um, I've actually started making my own food. Wow. That sounds so insanely kind of sad because I'm 27 years old, but I've started making my own food and, um, and not doing the, um, DoorDash McDonald's route. So, um, I am hopeful that I commit to making my own food and, you know, stop eating McDonald's every day. So that is my hope. That is awesome. It's a good one. Emily, do you have one? Uh, you mean besides the fact that both boys might nap at the same time? Like, <laughs> time? It's, it's all about realistic well. hopes. Yeah, yes. it doesn't have to be huge. Simultaneous naps. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Simultaneous naps. I will be able to complete. Um, I really want to get some grant applications finished this week for the for the next adoption. So that's like my goal for the week. But napping is napping is everything hinges on the naps. My amen. <laughs> I had a meltdown on December twenty third because my daughter, who was home from school for the first day, like for Christmas break, heard her sister crying at the forty five minute mark of the nap, and she always puts herself back to sleep. It's like it's just like this five minute. Claire wakes up, then she goes back to sleep. But Rose decided she needed to go check on Claire. Barged into the room, flipped on the light, turned off the sound machines. The rest of the day was lost because the glorious three hour nap was. And I, I just literally sat down on the floor of my kitchen and cried because I had so many things I needed to prep for our day. It was like it all hinges on the nap times a week over naps or night sleep or you know yeah yeah there's a lot of crying over sleep in this house well so emily it actually i before i even share my hope which is just like a super simple um like my husband is getting the covid vaccine soon and i'm hopeful that he's you know is, is he gets it quickly and healthily and happily so that he's safe in his classroom. That's my hope. Um, you'd mentioned the grant applications and you mentioned applying to bring this new baby into your home. How can we support you in that? And what are some ways that we can help grow this Chapman family? Uh, well, uh, prayers, definitely pray for his, uh, the baby's birth family, pray for the baby's safety. Um, there's lots of complications. It's a very high risk pregnancy in lots of ways. So prayers good. Uh, and you know, for Beckett's adoption, uh, we, I wrote a cookbook. Uh, it's an e-cookbook. It's called Around the Catholic Table, and it has 77 recipes in it that are for easy hospitality. They are wonderful. Nothing... <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, that, that, we launched it last year, and it helped us bring Beckett home. And surprisingly, I just, with two babies, I don't have time to write another cookbook. <laughs> so, so I'm going to relaunch the first one, uh, and that I'm getting ready to have it go go live next week and people can go to my website, uh, the Catholic table, catholictable.com, and they can find out more about it there and how to get it. And we don't, I'm not selling it. Uh, it's available for any size donation. If you want to give $5, if you want to give $5,000, like the cookbook is yours, the e-cookbook is yours. Uh, and there's also essays in it by me about hospitality and some of what we've talked about, just how to how to not sweat it, how to approach it with the right spirit and really how much it means to people. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, it's wonderful to have you on and I, I hope more folks go find you and follow you and donate and help you bring this baby home. 
Well, it was great meeting you, Chanel, and great talking to you, Katie. You can find the link to Emily's Instagram and the book that she references in this episode down in the show notes. You can also find a link to Ave Maria Press's Instagram, as well as that link to the prayer that we would encourage everyone to go and look at and pray for reconciliation and healing within our world and specifically within our country after the events of this past week. Ave Spotlight, of course, is a weekly podcast. And next week, we talk with Anne Garrido about how to dialogue, especially in social media spaces and online. It's a very timely episode considering everything that's going on. So we hope that you will subscribe to this show, maybe even give it a rating and a review so more people can find it and they can engage in conversation and dialogue with us. Ave Spotlight is created by Ave Maria Press, and we have another podcast that we'd like to direct your attention to, Ave Explores. It's a long-form interview podcast where we take a topic and we try to unpack and dig through uh, what we're discussing from a variety of different angles with incredible guests. And our new series for Ave Explores is all about Catholicism around the world. We'll be talking with people from literally around the globe about how the Catholic faith is expressed and lived there, what makes it unique and beautiful in those different countries, people from Ireland, India, Australia, South Africa, folks from England and Canada, people from the United States of America, Mexico. We dig into what does the world look like and what does the faith look like around the world. You can follow the link down in the show notes to subscribe to get all of the Catholicism around the world emails straight to your inbox starting in mid-February. As always, thanks so much for listening to Ave Spotlight this week. We hope you come back next week to join us for that conversation about social media with Ann Garrido. Till then, we hope you have a hopeful, hope-filled, and peaceful week.